0: So if you have your Bibles with you, turn with me there to Galatians chapter 6. We have a short passage this morning from chapter 6, verse 7 through verse 10. So hear now the word of the Lord. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. As we therefore have opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God our merciful and most gracious Father in heaven. In You are hid all the treasure of wisdom and knowledge. As we come before Your Word now, open our eyes that we may see the wonders of Your Word and give us grace that we may clearly understand and joyfully choose the way of Your wisdom. Through Jesus Christ our Lord we pray. Amen. You may be seated. It usually, usually begins with a thought. Perhaps it's not even a complete thought, just a, a mental picture. As we continue to turn the thought over in our mind, it begins to take shape and, and the thought becomes an idea. Often we find the idea stimulating and soon we realize that it's not enough to keep this in our minds. Something must be done with this idea. And so we attach to the idea a plan. Some way to take the idea from the abstract and transform it into something real. Something concrete. And the final step is to execute the plan. And that plan, no doubt, will include effort and action and likely include a series of actions that result in something that, if all goes according to plan, it will resemble something like the original thought that first formed in our mind. If you stop and consider this for a moment, this describes our day-to-day lives, the reality of our lives. We are volitional creatures. God has not created us puppets, yet it is true that He ordains everything that comes to pass. And there's not one single rogue molecule in this universe, as R.C. Sproul would say. Everything is under His sovereign divine superintendence. In His divine providence, God has created an orderly, universe, including the world we live in. He has established the stars and the planets in their courses, and he has designed the physics that defines and governs their movement. And he created a special world for us, his people to live in, has he not? It is a beautiful place with tremendous diversity of life to see everywhere we look. And when we do stop, and take the time to look around and try to take it all in, we find the evidence of our Creator's hand to be almost overwhelming. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows His handiwork. Day unto day utters speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out throughout all the earth and their words to the end of the world. As we read and hear this word from Psalm 19, we see the truth in them and we know that they are profound words to consider. God's creation speaks and it speaks loudly and it speaks plainly for all to see and hear. Creation declares the glory of God. God has revealed Himself in His creation. The truth and goodness and beauty of God is manifest and is self-evident. And since His truth and goodness and beauty are found everywhere we look, we also know, we actually know a good deal of what therefore is false, and evil, and ugly, because it is contrary to His revelation. We call this revelation general revelation. God has revealed Himself generally, and it is given to and it is accessible by everyone. Since man knows God, we have a God-given desire to worship Him, and it is our reasonable service. Paul writes in Romans 12, using that phrase, reasonable service or reasonable worship. However, we know also that not everyone does worship the triune God. But everyone does, once you peel back the covers and investigate just a little bit, everyone does in the end worship a God, a lowercase God. An idol made with hands, or the creation itself, a false god in some other religion, or a man-made philosophy, some form of humanism is what is worshiped. And yet, even though we see these things, and especially because God has revealed these things in His creation, we are responsible for the worship we render. We're responsible for the denial of truth, for the failure to do good, for the proliferation of ugliness and evil. Scripture says that when we do such things, we are suppressing the truth and unrighteousness. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Why? Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. Professing to become wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an Im- image made like corruptible man, and birds, and four-footed animals, and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up to uncleanness, in the lust of their hearts, to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and worshipped and served creature, rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. Amen. Brothers and sisters, as our text from Galatians this morning declares, be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Our gracious, all-wise, all-knowing, omnipotent Creator God has woven into the very fabric of creation fundamental knowledge and axiomatic truths And when we attempt to to suppress these truths, this fundamental knowledge, it is by definition an act of rebellion and an act of unrighteousness. And we need to know, truly know, that God is not mocked. We cannot, no matter how hard we try, pull the wool over God's eyes. We cannot hide our disobedience. It didn't work for Adam, and it won't work for us. We can't excuse it as ignorance. I didn't know won't work on the day of judgment, for we are all without excuse. From the very beginning of creation, His invisible attributes are clearly seen. Invisible attributes, clearly seen. These attributes are understood by the creature including His power and His Godhead. Everyone knows that there is a God who is there, as Francis Schaeffer said. Day after day and night after night, we are bombarded by the nonverbal declaration that God is. It is communication to mankind that transcends national borders. Since it is nonverbal communication, there is no language barrier. Just as the sun touches the whole face of the earth, so does the testimony of God go throughout the whole earth. And it is a testimony to which we are all accountable. While this knowledge of God through general revelation is not sufficient to save a man, that requires the gospel which is given in special revelation of God's Word. It is nonetheless sufficient to condemn a man. Paul therefore tells the Galatian churches to be not deceived. God is not mocked. And he goes on to provide an axiom, a fundamental truth that requires no further definition or ex- explanation, and one that he assumes all of his readers will be familiar with. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. And even in this day, this modern day, this is still axiomatic to us. Even in a culture and society that is not agrarian in the same way it was 2,000 years ago, this is a fundamental truth we all understand. If I were to step out into the congregation this morning and ask any one of our little ones this question, what kind of seed should I plant if I want to grow tomatoes? every single one of them will reply, a tomato seed. It's a truth that is built in to creation. Can you imagine the chaos that would ensue if we had no idea what kind of plant would emerge when we planted our garden, when we threw those seeds in the ground? This is one particular way that God is not mocked. And this this often quoted insightful excerpt from C.S. Lewis's The Abolition of Man captures this well. In a sort of ghastly simplicity, we remove the organ and demand the function. We make men without chest and expect of them virtue and enterprise. We laugh at honor and are shocked to find traitors in our midst. We castrate and bid the geldings, be fruitful." End quote. Lewis wrote that in 1943. Yet our first thought might be that this is probably from some conservative op-ed piece written just last week, is it not? We tend to think that the world just now has gone mad. Sadly, the world has struggled with this madness from the very beginning. So think about it. <clears throat> If the only male horse we were to put in the pasture with the mares is a gelding, should we expect to see foals when springtime rolls around? No? Dina says no. Okay, good. (laughs) If we plant corn seed in the garden, should we expect to see a harvest of watermelon? Of course not. There is a consequence to our actions, a cause and an effect and we reap what we sow. God's Word tells us that nature, or creation, gives a clear testimony of God's existence. Everyone, everywhere, has this testimony. General, or sometimes called natural, revelation is more than sufficient to make humanity responsible and show them that they are without excuse. Consequently, everyone should attempt to find out who this Creator is and what He requires of them. But sadly, many people have corrupted the revelation of God. They have corrupted the revelation of God in nature and they have chosen to worship and serve the creation rather than the Creator. Instead of worshiping the Creator God, they have turned creation into a God. For this, God has pronounced judgment upon them. And it seems even more evident today than in our recent past that our favorite God is man Himself. We seem more now than ever to want to play the role of God. We think that we can take someone who is born male and turn them into a female. What an absolute, hideous monstrosity is that Dr. Frankenstein's monster was far less a monster than that when we think about it. We peer into genetics and discover a way to manipulate and edit the genome, and immediately our first thought is that we want to become the creator. Our first thought is there is a possibility of creating superhumans, those designed to be superintelligent, or super strong, so that we can have super warriors, or perhaps super passive, so that the people will be easy to control. We want designer babies. And these are seriously being considered. We begin combining genetic material from different species to create whatever our hearts desire. We are creative beings, and yet sometimes that creative gift turns ugly but we all need apples that when you slice them they don't turn brown don't we we need that kind of apple and wouldn't it be cool if you could buy fluorescent cauliflower just think of how many kids that now turn their nose up to cauliflower would be excited about cauliflower that glows in the dark that would be cool or at least some marketer somewhere has this wonderful thought but what is the truth God is not mocked. We will reap what we sow. If we sow new technologies in such a way that it is contrary to the goodness of God revealed in creation, we will reap untold evils. When we sow ugliness that profanes the beauty of creation, we should not be surprised when we wake up one day in a community or in a nation that is filled with ugliness and is experiencing the judgment of god and so when we consider the axiom of sowing and reaping we find the following three laws number 1 you sow you reap what you have sown number 2 you reap where you have sown and thirdly you reap more than you've sown and so as we quickly go through these keep in mind that the sowing and reaping principle is universal that is to say that it applies to both the physical agricultural sowing as well as spiritual sowing and that is the main point in view here you reap what you have sown we've already seen that if we want tomatoes we should not plant corn seed but there's another aspect of reaping that what you have sown that has to do with quantity in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, we read, "...but this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully." That's plain enough, is it not? And to use the corn illustration, you should not expect to feed your family of eight if you go out to the garden and you drop eight corn seeds into the ground. The absolute best possible outcome in that scenario is 16 years of corn. And do you think you'll feed your family all summer on 16 years of corn? That would be sowing sparingly. And that's the best possible outcome unless, of course, you plant six-shooter, but that's not much better, if you know what I mean. When we sow sparingly, we should not expect to reap a bountiful harvest. This law is written into creation. It cannot be violated. God is not mocked and we can't cheat the system. Likewise, if we sow very little according to the leading of the Spirit, we should expect minimal spiritual fruit. We also intuit axiomatically that we reap where we have sown. None of us are foolish enough to plant corn in our garden and then come harvest time, go pluck the ears of corn from the lingo's garden. Now, for some of us, that might actually reap a bountiful harvest compared to what we would grow, but that would also be stealing. No one, no one anywhere, we, we should know, no one thinks that they can do this. No one plants here and goes and looks for it there. We go to the place in the garden where we planted and watered and fertilized and weeded. The same place where we have taken the time and effort to stand up the corn when it is been blown down by the storm and the winds and the heavy rains. It's the same place where we have been watching the ears emerge and grow fat and get filled out And while we have watched and waited for the tassels to turn just the right color. And then we pick those ears of corn. This is known intuitively to us. And if this part is not known intuitively to you, you will now know. And if we had grown a super sweet variety of corn, we should have already set the water to boil even before we headed out to the garden to pick the corn and to shuck the corn so that we could maximize the sweetness and the flavor of God's goodness in these fresh ears of corn. This matters spiritually as well. As we are walking in step with the Spirit where He is leading, we have to remember this principle. Are we following the leading of the Holy Spirit? Are we sowing more time considering competing theological doctrines from our favorite authors than we are meditating in and upon God's revealed Word? If, caught, if the Holy Spirit is leading us here, why then do we go this way? We have to remember that we reap where we sow. This is a word that is absolutely true. We also give thanks to the Creator that we have this third law of reaping and sowing. We reap more than we sow. <clears throat> if we were only able to harvest one kernel of corn for each kernel we planted, there would be no point in planting, would there? There is a principle of multipl- multiplication at work here. Each seed is able to reproduce itself in multiples. In this way, there will be fruit to consume and there will be fruit to save and there will be, we will be able to produce the seed that we can plant the following year. When we sow, holistically speaking, we don't only sow enough for our own consumption. We are expected to have a longer term prospect than that. We are to plan for others. And we are to plant for the year or years ahead. We are to plan for times of poor rain and poor growing conditions. And when the harvest is plenty, we are to set aside some for the lean years. This is built into the fabric of creation. The laws of sowing and reaping are found everywhere and throughout our entire lives. We are to sow education into the minds of when we are young and most ready and able to learn. We're also to sow a good education so that we can reap untold rewards from that storehouse of knowledge. We sow the gospel into our children as we trust God and the work of His Holy Spirit to bring the increase in their lives. We sow love and provision and repentance in and before our children so that we speak truth and beauty to them and so that they may know to do so for their children. We sow work to provide for our families. We sow plans for caring for the elderly in their time of need. We sow God's Word into our daily lives so that we are able to flourish spiritually and know our Creator even better. We sow into the lives of our brothers and sisters when we bear with them Burdens that are far too heavy for them to carry alone. And from that, we reap love and friendship and joy unspeakable in the Lord. We sow and reap in innumerable ways. It is axiomatic and a part of the fabric of life. Yet in the next verse, the apostle needs to remind us that it matters how and what we sow. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. That which is true in the physical holds for the spiritual. In order to reap a bountiful harvest of spiritual fruit, we need to sow spiritual seed. We need to care for, nourish, and cultivate our spiritual lives as well as our physical lives. It is not good enough to just respond to the Gospel once and then never live the spiritual life God has given us. We are to feed and weed the seed of the Gospel. Back to the corn illustration one more time. Anyone who has ever successfully grown sweet corn and reaped a good harvest, especially here locally, knows that if you... Simply put it in the freshly tilled ground and then leave it alone. Your chances of a good harvest are slim to none. Corn is a heavy feeder. It takes a lot of nitrogen to grow those tall, healthy stalks. And you may recall that story from grade school that about the Native Americans showing the pilgrims how to plant corn with a fish in with the seed so that as the fish broke down, it provided the nutrients that this corn plant needed as it grew. You must also weed the corn once you put it in the ground, lest the weeds take over and consume the fertilizer intended for the corn, or chokes out the corn. We should also, likewise, desire to see the multiplication principle at work in our lives. We should desire to share spirit-wrought fruit with our neighbors. We should see the importance of sowing the gospel to the unsaved and then pray for the spiritual fruit in their lives. This is how the kingdom grows. Jesus said, "...the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all the seeds, but when it is grown it is greater than the herbs and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches." And another parable He spoke to them. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till it was all leavened. The seed is planted in the ground or hidden in the dough and it grows and it multiplies. When we sow to the Spirit from the Spirit we reap eternal life. But when we sow to the flesh of the flesh we reap corruption. Think back to what the Apostle identified as the works of the flesh in chapter 5. Adultery, fornication, idolatry, and all the rest. These are flesh seeds that only bring corruption. And this is exactly what we find in the prophecy from Habakkuk. Woe to him who builds a town with bloodshed, who establishes a city by iniquity. Behold, It is not of the Lord of hosts that people labor to feed the fire and nations weary themselves in vain. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the water covers the sea. As we are faithful in our gospel lives and rear our children unto godliness, when we faithfully share the gospel, when we deal with our neighbor righteously as unto the Lord, when we worship the Lord our God, in faith, and in the beauty of holiness. We are sowing spiritual seed that will reap a bountiful harvest according to the goodness of God. In these simple everyday activities, the earth is being filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. Who then is Paul? And who is Apollos? But ministers through whom you believed as the Lord gave to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. Paul sowed spiritual seed. Apollos watered faithfully. And God, according to the counsel of His eternal decree, in perfect application, of the law of sowing and reaping, which He established, brought the increase. And so the Apostle goes on to encourage the Galatian church's writing, and let us not be weary in well-doing. For in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Faithful sowing includes the requirement for perseverance. This is the watering And the fertilizing and the labor of weeding that is all a part of the sowing and reaping process. And I'll use this illustration not to bring any sort of uh, bad light on anybody here. We planted corn in the garden, can you tell, this year? There was some corn planted in the ground this year. Sam and Laura had access to a tiller on a tractor, and it was just irresistible that we should stir up some ground and plant some seed in the ground. And we enjoyed a bountiful harvest of cucumbers, of peppers. What else? Tomatoes came on in. Great. But we also put corn in there. And not being from around here... When they put the corn in the ground, they weren't thinking about the poor condition of the soil, the fertility, the heavy feeding nature of corn seed. And so, as they put the seed in the ground, they anticipate, you know, having that sweet corn. And uh, he got about this tall in some places. (laughs) It was really pitiful. He was faithful to plant the seed, but there is this perseverance aspect of it. There was a need to, to fertilize and to make sure that it stayed weeded. So rather than sowing and reaping corn this year, Sam was able to sow and mow. So he, he just mowed that down. He was tired of looking at it. So spiritually speaking, this is where we don't grow faint in the means of grace. We don't grow weary in living the law of Christ and in bearing one another's burdens. It also means even more fundamentally that we are to persevere in the faith. And this is a huge exhortation to consider. So just take a moment and hear what Pastor John Piper said to his congregation. Paul is saying then, if you stop sowing to the Spirit and sow to your own flesh, you will not reap eternal life, but eternal corruption. This is very controversial. Let it sink in. What is at stake in this text is eternal life, not merely sanctification, but also final salvation. Whether you go to heaven or whether you go to hell depends in some way on whether you grow weary in well doing or not. The text is addressed to the church. Listen carefully and note how the thought moves from verse 8 to verse 9. He who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not, therefore, grow weary in well doing, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. You will reap eternal life if you sow to the Spirit. That is, if you don't grow weary. In well-doing. That's quite an exhortation. These are weighty words. We run right by them and sometimes do not take them seriously enough. Life gets hard. We become overwhelmed by the flood of trials that the Lord has designed for us and we grow weary in well-doing. We get easily distracted by all of the things of this world And we fail to exercise the spiritual disciplines. We fail to feed and water and weed the spiritual seed that the Lord has planted. Now, I'm not trying to make too fine a doctrinal point on salvation, but the exhortation is there nonetheless. If we do not persevere in the faith, we were never in the faith. We are exhorted to persevere and to not grow weary. Let us remember then, as we consider the greater context of the letter Paul has written to the Galatians, if we somehow think that we are justified by the works of the flesh along with the Gospel of Christ, should we expect to find salvation in that Gospel? It would be okay if you yelled the answer right now. Should we expect to find salvation in a Gospel that adds to it works of the flesh? That's better. Paul has already pronounced his anathema on this type of other gospel, which is not another gospel at all. Spiritual reaping requires spiritual sowing. Not flesh plus spirit sowing. A sowing that is ongoing. Therefore, let us not grow weary in well-doing. Paul concludes this text with a wonderful reminder. As we, therefore, have opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. The Christian life we live in the flesh resides in an in-between season of growth before the harvest. That is to say, the season between planting of the gospel seed in our salvation and the harvest in our glorification. In this season, we are to be about the business of doing good to all men, but especially to them who are of the household of faith. The good that we are to be about is manifesting the fruit of the Spirit, the love, joy, peace, long-suffering, etc. We are to let our light so shine before men that they may see our good works and so glorify our Father in heaven. Peter tells us this, For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. Paul instructs Titus, likewise, exhort the young men to be sober-minded in all things, showing yourself to be a pattern of good works, in doctrine showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility, sound speech that cannot be condemned. And why is that important? That the one who is an opponent may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say of you. Our lives are to be a testimony of the gospel that both attracts and condemns. And we are to do good, especially to the household of faith. And you know who that is. This is who you are. This is who we are. Fellow citizens with the saints. Members of the household of God. So the exhortation and the teaching at this point should be clear. There is a law operating in the world that God has created. You can't get around it. You cannot avoid it. It works. The whole universe is built upon laws, physical and spiritual laws. Whatever you sow, that you will also reap. This truth ought to be the motivation for living our lives, walking in and by the Spirit, that we might reap the fruit of the Spirit. You sow in the Spirit, you reap holiness. Holiness is the harvest of righteous sowing. Therefore, go, dear saints, and sow to the Spirit, and love one another. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, it is with humble hearts that we ask that you would be pleased to plant this truth deeply within our hearts and make it our pure desire to sow to the Spirit and not grow weary in well-doing. Increase our love for the household of faith and for our neighbors and for all those who presently wander in darkness. O Lord, do a great spiritual work in and among your people, we pray. For we come asking in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen.